0: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. The transmission of information on this podcast is not intended to establish and receipt of such information does not establish or constitute an attorney-client relationship. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements.
1: Welcome back to the new and revived Talking Pop Health. I'm Eric Tower, a healthcare attorney at Thompson Coburn, and today I'm excited to have with me uh, Mark Nolan of Hint. Mark, could you give me a little background uh, about yourself and your journey before we plunge in?
0: Sure. Thanks, Eric. Very uh, happy to be be with you, and look forward to talking. Um, for me, my personal journey probably somewhere around 15 years ago. I was in consulting and I joined a healthcare project, my first exposure to healthcare work. You know, hadn't really thought much about it, but it really hit home at the time how complicated it is and how low value it often is and how it impacts my loved ones and pretty much everyone I'll ever meet. And at the same time, on an aggregate basis, just how inefficiencies and a poor system holds our country back. And so, for me, it was an extremely eye-opening experience. And I went from not really thinking about healthcare to just wanting to be in healthcare and wanting to help fix it and improve it. Um, About 10 years ago, I was. Thinking about new roles and came across something called direct care, direct primary care, and it just it hit me about uh, how how exciting you know this this model was, this thing was, and what an impact it could make. So I joined the company and helped build out a practice um, over a number of years. Uh, so it finally supported thousands of patients nationwide, and the patient feedback. experience and the provider feedback experience was all I could have hoped for and then about three years ago I joined Hint Health which is where I'm at today Um, and for me you know I was seeing the industry growth and the opportunity and I recognized Hint had such a strong position and such a trusted brand that you know as I spoke more to them I found out just such a great organization and mission alignment with what I wanted to do, and so someone I wanted to scale this with further and faster, and that that brings me to this point.
1: Wow! Well, there's a lot to unpack there. Why why don't we start with your observations around healthcare being complicated and low value? Where, where do you how do you draw that conclusion? What do you what are you
0: seeing? I think. There's three. There's many things. I mean, healthcare's huge, right? In the U.S., it's approaching 20% of GDP, which is, in and of itself, bigger than probably the the economy of of, of frankly almost all the countries in the world, um, which is which is pretty crazy. But we're a big place, and so the complexities, the inefficiencies. There's a lot of them. For for me and for Hint probably the three largest impediments to improving our healthcare system as we think about it. One is the inappropriate role of insurance, which drives increased costs and and unneeded complexity. The second one is the volume-based fee-for-service payment model, which distorts incentives um, significantly. And the last one is we see unfortunately low value and empowerment in the us of primary care and primary care is the foundation of any well functioning healthcare system <laughs> and and really those three are the impediments that we're focused on and the ones that we think we and, and our clients can can help address what is
1: direct primary care
0: it's a rapidly growing membership-based model. So it's typically based on charging a fixed monthly fee for a defined set of services. That fee, it could be charged to the individual patient, or it could be charged to their employer if it's in their employer's benefit plan. But the key is it's completely transparent. There's no copayments. There's no insurance claims. You know what you're paying, and you know what you get for what you're paying.
1: So is this basically a
0: flat fee per month? Different different practices do a different way, but I would say the vast, vast majority, they do a monthly fee. So you might think about it like, like Netflix or something like that, that you're paying on a monthly basis. And the doctors, how do they find their patients then? And that's one of the very interesting parts of how things are developing these days. So I would say most doctors are if they're transitioning from fee-for-service into um, direct care, they're probably going to um, bring some of their fee-for-service patients um, over to that model. Other than that, outside of that, it might be word of mouth to their existing patients. They might market themselves and, and make their community more aware of this option. They may approach and work with local employers. So there, there are different ways that they can they can grow their patient panel, and we've seen a lot of different different successful paths.
1: Do some doctors do both direct primary care and the regular fee-for-service business, or is it more of an all-or-nothing type of situation?
0: Now, there's definitely some doctors that do both. I would say typically when they're doing both, it's more because they're they're slowly getting into the direct care approach um and they're not sort of doing a a a more abrupt move over um Often, the doing both what I would call a hybrid model. It's a way for them to gradually get into doing all direct care um, in a way that that works for them and their practice.
1: That's interesting. Let's let's turn to Hint. Hint itself is not providing any care. Um, what is it that Hint is doing?
0: We're not a provider just to just to be clear for folks. Um, we are mostly a software company, but we do a few things and i would i would I would give three buckets if you will. One is we provide education training community, so these are courses, classes, guidance, even partnerships that help practices identify and act on the pieces needed to to build a successful direct care model. As part of that, we also work with um, what I'd say are like aggregators for plan sponsors. It could be benefit advisors, it could be modern TPAs who are trying to find out, you know, where are these practices and what does this look like? Because they wanna bring an offering to, their employer clients, for example. Then the second bucket is our core software features, uh, which is really the HintOS platform. With its integrations, it eliminates the complexity of the direct-to-consumer membership management model that I was talking about before. It also helps with the newer virtual first care models that are coming out. And among the things it does, it helps them With the eligibility, the enrollment, the billing, and the reporting, which are different under these models than under the traditional fee-for-service. And then the last bucket I think about are some more advanced features. So the complexity and needs of a practice increase as they scale, as they develop affiliations, and often as they work with employers or larger employers. And so Our product enables them to scale employer direct contracting, um, on site, near site approaches that work with employers, and in some exciting things that we're seeing, it also enables practices to connect with each other. So, in ways that they can stay independent but collaborate to offer. their their shared practice solutions across larger geographies. For example, if they wanted to work with a distributed employer base or something like that. So those are probably the three buckets, I think, about the education training, our core software, and then some advanced software.
1: I think, uh, based on what you said, one of the big benefits that you offer is allowing physician practices to remain independent, physician-led. Without uh, some of the issues that you see with health systems buying physician practices, uh, at least you know anecdotally you you hear stories about the doctors sort of being disregarded by the health systems or private equity where uh, people accuse um, the private equity firms of putting profits before patients. Is that the prime driver for this?
0: It's not the prime driver, but it's a great it's a great result, if you will, for those who are involved. So I mean, we've we've probably all seen the headlines, especially recently. There's been some numbers around. I think the majority of providers in the country now are employed by. Health systems and, and or other entities like, like you mentioned. And, you know, the, 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 the share that's independent is, is falling and has been falling for a while. And so, you know, the questions are, you know, why, why is that happening? And, uh, you know, one of the fundamental reasons is that the primary care practice under a fee for service insurance based model, it's just, it's really hard to get by and then you throw in the stresses of you know pandemic and and the operational impacts of that especially in the last say 24 months or 18 24 months or so it's accelerated the, the, the challenges that they've had and then you throw on top of that health systems private equity others who are bringing a lot of money because they see the opportunities in frankly controlling the decision making and in the primary care area. And that's just a you know it's a it's a mix that does not lead to the independence and empowerment that most of these providers were looking for when they you know, when they got into medicine. And so what we're offering or what the direct care model is offering that we support is a model by which they can stay independent, if they so choose, and really um, navigate these these many different tides and, and winds that are happening right now, whether it's operational, whether it's financial, in a way that's going to benefit. Not only them, because they can do that and do what they want to do, but frankly, the patients, because this model is, is, is fantastic for the patients compared to the status quo.
1: So let's assume I've got my own practice and I want to explore direct primary care. How, how do I even begin? Do, how do I find an employer who, you know, as a standalone doctor who would agree to contract with me when I'm I'm a primary care doc uh, and I might not even be geographically proximate to to a large chunk of the employer's
0: uh, employees. Yeah, that's, that's where it gets interesting. So you know, I think the first thing, if you're a practice and, and you want to if you want to start a direct care care model, it, like you said, you, you got to do your research. You got to understand what's what's under the hood, if you will. And you know, frankly, uh, hint, hint clients get a lot of that from our courses, our education training. We have a, a program called DPC Accelerator, which goes a long way in helping uh, practices who are who are who are thinking about this um, know what they need to know. Um, at the same time you know you are essentially starting a different business model and and in some cases it might actually be a new business and there are a number of things that go with that that any small business or new business owner has to think about and while we can give and do give some thoughts about the stuff you got to consider um, you know there are things that that you need to do once you've got your practice model up and running or you know frankly you could do it in parallel and you're thinking about how to build your um, build that practice build that panel more and you, know, you you could choose to approach local employers and, and uh, many of the direct care direct primary care practices that we work with do that and they are in some ways and you know, probably in a much better way than i am explaining you know what that model is how it benefits the employer and their employees and their dependents that are on their plan and how they can create a direct contract with each other you know the membership forms the direct contracts these are not these are not your health system you know large Big, large insurance plan type of contracts that could be really intimidating for any employer, let alone a smaller employer. Um, you know, these are direct, essentially B2B contracts um, with with really clear language that that they can enter into. And what happens is a lot of these small employers they just aren't even aware of this option. And when they see you know, they have an option here that can solve a lot of the issues that their employees and dependents and, and them as business owners have. And it's at a price and that frankly is is quite reasonable and it's at a price that, frankly, can actually save them money because they're investing in advanced primary care. There's a pretty compelling story there. And uh, my last comment is, you know, what we see from a HINT perspective, since we support a lot of these direct care practices, is the employer-sponsored growth is, is really... You know, one of the big drivers of the industry, because it's becoming more and more obvious, both to them and to the providers, that there's a great there's a great match there.
1: If I'm an employer, I get that primary care is is critical, um, but I need a whole network. I'm going to need labs. I'm going to need pharmacy. I'm going to need hospital services. I need specialists. Uh, I, I probably need home health. How did, do, how do they solve for that?
0: I'll take the question sort of more broadly. Sort of do do employers do patients still need to deal with insurance as part of this model and from our perspective yes they do but in ways that they're used to dealing with insurance in the normal non-healthcare world so from you know what what is insurance for it's for pulling risk for infrequent unpredictable high cost events you know think car accident think flood fire things of that nature and so you know the counter In this scenario is primary care, direct primary care covers 70, 80 percent of a typical person's health care utilization needs. So not infrequent, not unpredictable, not high cost stuff. And so if an employer partners with a direct primary care practice, they're covering the vast majority of their patient's needs. But back to what you were saying, there are those less common and high cost scenarios that the employer still wants to cover for their patients. Uh, I should say for their for their employees and dependents. So in those situations, you know, they're still going to be working with um, either one of the traditional networks or even better, one of the forward thinking benefit advisors around there um, so that they can craft the rest of that offering, you know, that other 30% or what have you, around the primary care. So essentially, can you have an advanced primary care-centric benefit plan? And yes, yes, you can. And there are, there are, there are many employers who are doing that. And does the Hint platform,
1: once it's up and running, help the primary care doctors communicate in with that network, or how does, how does that work?
0: Not at this moment. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about opportunities for the industry and where HINT is going, but we've got a lot of interest in the growing um, opportunity in what we'd call downstream uh, healthcare providers and locations. Frankly, HINT has quite a few clients that are specialists in outside primary care, and so for us, one of the things that we're pretty excited about that we're working on is how do we enable those connections inside of the community that is that is direct care, if you will. And let's turn to the patients. What is the
1: difference in the patient experience for a practice that uses Hint? versus your typical fee for service practice. You know, are there are there practice differences in the way it's conducted or is it more of a payment issue?
0: There there are differences. I would start with just noting kind of what what would your membership usually get you as a patient? And while it can vary by practice slightly, you know, like it would anywhere in healthcare. The services offered under that flat monthly fee typically include urgent care, primary care, chronic disease management, unlimited visits, so your flat fee is covering any and all number of visits that you need. The service levels of same-day and next-day appointments, um, you know, try that in your typical fee-for-service primary care. Practice, you're going to get roomed immediately, so none of those long waiting room stints that we've all experienced. Extended visit durations as you need them, 24/7 access to a care team, you know, with with telemedicine, emails, SMS, texting as as needed. So, as I think about the services in the that you get with these um, direct care practices, they're both comprehensive of what you would get, and even more than what you'd get in traditional um, fee-for-service primary care. And in terms of the impact and and what it happens, if you will, for the patients, as you mentioned, um, what I think about in terms of what we hear from patients and providers, and, and frankly, what I've heard over a number of years, first, while every person's situation is unique, the most common points of feedback are, one, how the direct care model enables better care. You have a relationship with your provider. Longitudinal is, is often the, the word used in the industry. You have more time with him or her. It enables co-decision making. There's appropriate incentives. So the provider, if they're not volume-based incentives, you know, you, you basically have – less potential for low-value care being provided. And then on top of the better care, the improved service. So I mentioned the access, you know, 24-7 as needed. The innovation, so for example, this one's just worth pointing out. There's all this headlines around telemedicine and the new telemedicine companies that are popping up, especially motivated by the pandemic and, and the lockdowns. Direct care practices, they almost all had telemedicine before that because they weren't investing in their practices and innovations based on what the insurance company would pay them for. They were investing on based on what was right for the patients and, and making their practice work best. So you get this the service levels, the way that they think about their patients in a way that, that you don't get in a traditional fee-for-service practice. And then the, the final one I'll point out is how it lowers costs. So better care reduces costs through better health. Maximizing primary care, which I mentioned could do 70-80% of most healthcare utilization by patients, it reduces the need for higher cost downstream help. Increased access reduces use of things like ER, higher cost ER, higher cost urgent care. And there are innovations in these practices, so For example, depending on the state they're in, you know, practices can have uh, on-site prescription drug dispensing, and it can be at a lower cost. They can just do things and think about things from a service perspective that a fee-for-service practice doesn't have the luxury of doing because they have to think about what will they get reimbursed on from the insurance company. So lots of different ways that this improves the experience for the patient as well as the providers we spoke about. Let's go into
1: what some of your, we'll call them customers, the employers have experienced. Uh, Have they come back and said, wow, this is really great. You're you're keeping my employees healthy, you know, our costs are going down. Do you have any any experiences there or any data?
0: Our customers, Hint Health customers, are primarily the practices, but we do get feedback from them on their experience with employers, supporting employers, and I have my own experience from having worked and built out a practice that supported employers, and this is a really sticky Direct Care is really a sticky product, and, and I mean that going back to the, the things I described in terms of the better service, the the lower cost, the improved health. like it, it comes out across either analytically when you have a population that's large enough that you can run those types of numbers, whether it's claim-based numbers, whether it's um, outcomes-based type of analysis, and you know frankly anecdotally which is in smaller populations that's often what you got to go on or it's it's a leading data point for the subsequent analysis and for all of those across the dimensions i mentioned service better health and lower cost. There's, a, there's the practices that are out there doing this, especially the larger ones who are doing more analysis or have been around longer that have more experiential data. They're releasing studies that indicate it, and we've got some practices. Um, for example, I think of one we support called Nextera, who released. Uh, some information around how they saved a school district in Colorado. I think it was a million, a million and a half or a million and a half dollars their health plan after rolling out the membership model without sacrificing quality. Um, We have others that have similar studies that they're showing. They all have really strong anecdotal information. There was even a study done by the Society of Actuaries uh, last year, I think it was, uh, where they Basically got in you know with their actuaries, looked at claims data they were focused on the cost aspect of it, and they were identifying the the savings that were found there so slowly but surely, the experiential data and and the the case for the different pieces and the benefits that I described is building well, as we talk about
1: the experience let's let 's go back to the physician experience. I would assume and correct me if i 'm wrong. You know, obviously, a lot of doctors would like to stay independent. Uh, if you pick up a one twosie two-z practice, uh, is is that feasible? Do they need an IT full-time IT department? Um, you know, and then what happens to them after they join? Are are some of them growing sort of organically, or are they consolidating because they see the opportunities with the with the Hint platform, or is it sort of a you know? whatever they want to do, Uh, what are you noticing?
0: There's the solutions like Hint and like our integration partners that can help a a small practice you know if you're one provider two providers you can you can you can do what you need to do you don't need a large staff i mean that that's one reason why we're why, why hint originally got into what it' was doing to try to reduce the the overhead and the effort needed for smaller practices and the the value of that just increases as the practice grows um, in terms of what the practice might choose to do strategically, you know, over time, whether they you know, like you said, combine or it, it really is whatever they want to do. We've got clients that have chosen many different paths and, and and there's many examples of success from the the one doctor who wants to, you know, have that panel that or she knows really well almost be the community doctor and you know that that's what they want to do that's why they went to medical school and they successfully transitioned to a direct primary care model and you know life is good for them and for their patients and and that's what they want to do and and that's great for them and their community to ones that maybe they get to that spot and then they want to work with employers or they 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 really ambitiously want to grow their practice to have multiple you know dozens of of providers involved and they've got different ways they can do it like we spoke about before they may focus on employers that are around them, or they may choose to affiliate with other direct care practices around there, which is something they can do through Hint Health technology. And through that affiliation, they've essentially joined or created a direct primary care network, um, and that's something that they can approach employers more with, more with, or different members of that network. You know, are all almost out talking to local employers, or they could all together talk to large distributed employers um, less you know it, it isn't unusual to see practices combining but often since the technology and the options are out there for them to affiliate and stay independent that seems to be a more common trend that we're seeing than than sort of formal combinations if you will they get the best of both worlds baby
1: and I guess it, it almost goes without saying. It sounds like Hint is helping introduce the doctors uh, who would participate with it to each other and and to uh, its existing networks. Um, well, I guess that's the wrong right. thing to say. It wouldn't be its networks. It would be you know letting the doctors have conversations among themselves and and facilitating conversations with with employers.
0: Yeah, exactly right. So. Um, You can essentially, through our technology, identify whether you want to have those conversations or be open with them with other practices, and not only other practices, but also with benefit advisors or TPAs, modern TPAs, those who might be representing employers who are interested in these advanced primary care models like this. Um, and so, yeah, you essentially you can identify yourself and use our technology to start creating those connections, those those conversations, and you know see where they lead um, it's It's exciting it's exciting stuff because we're essentially you know maybe it's uh, one of the trends that underlie a lot of modern technology, but the the individuality is maintained at the same time that you know, the the collaboration between the individuals uh, brings brings the power of that too. So you, you asked a oh. question earlier I'm not sure that I, I hit on, which was around the growth um, and what do we see. And what we see is really fantastic organic growth from direct care practices. So, uh, you know, Practices transition to become direct care, you know, from a fee-for-service model. They could be small or they could be large, and the growth is is really, really impressive. And I think a lot of it comes from uh, at least initially word of mouth, you know, followed by the practices layer on top of word of mouth, you know, intentional Marketing intentional um, efforts around PR for the great experience and the great offering they have, and then many of them layer on top of that, intentionally going to talk to employers because they know how difficult um, employer difficult situation employers are facing, and so it's it's really impressive what we see in terms of practices. You know, they might start direct care very small, and they can accelerate really fast in in some ways, it's sort of, you know, it's up to them what they want to do because I think the overall opportunity and awareness around this model is is just increasing.
1: So prior to the pandemic, I I was... Hearing a lot about employers really exploring on-site clinics. Do, do you see that still being a a, a significant push at this point? Uh, I do realize we're still in the middle of this pandemic, um, but at some point, hopefully, it ends and and we get out and start living our lives and going to work. Uh, what are you seeing? Where are you seeing things evolve at this point?
0: We're still seeing. Strong interest in on-site clinics, and and I'll I'll, I'll put near-site clinics in there as well. Um, there are like you know th- this is a there's a lot of moving pieces right now, so we'll see where it goes. But like some that I'll point out, one is it, even before the pandemic, I think there was a. An, growing awareness and recognition by employers that, you know, no one's going to solve this healthcare care problem for them. And the problem being this unrelenting increases in costs combined with, which is, uh, you know, combined with often very poor service um, and, and, and really lack of transparency about what's, what's actually going on. And so I think employers are more and more willing to, shoulder the responsibility or work with their partners and forward-thinking benefit advisors or TPAs, to basically try to solve this themselves and the on-site near-site clinic trend was one example of that whereby the employers uh you know this broader piece i'm I'm talking about are recognizing that Investment in exceptional primary care pays huge dividends across their whole healthcare um, sort of consideration, if you will. And down, you know, changing in terms of uh, preventive care, in terms of impacting use of higher cost locations, in terms of better health, better service, employee retention, all sorts of things. And so the onsite near site model was really a, a piece of that. Um, overall recognition and strategy by employers. I don't see that going away. I mean, the overall motivation for that isn't changing. In my opinion, if anything else employers are becoming more and more aware of what they're facing that they got to be part of the solution and they're having more and more opportunities and more and more options to to try and solve it. The the interesting thing will be in in my mind whether this parallel seemingly unrelated conversation around return to work and how much of you know the previous employees were centralized versus going to be remote now, and how that impacts the thought about on site and near site clinics, my own belief is that it won't change the desire for on-site and near-site clinics, but it is going to add some nuance. So if you're a vendor of that sort, you know, do you have virtual care offerings for remote employees? Or even better, have you thought about ways to partner with like-minded primary care providers who might be in the community, you know, kind of like HINTS clients, in a way that you can support um, what might be a future with more remote or or more remote employees and or more people that aren't coming into work every day. So kind of meet them where they're at. So to me, I, I, I would say at least as of now, I don't see major changes in the overall trend, but there's clearly nuances in this new environment the last 18 months that are going to have to be considered.
1: Yeah, I can just speak to my own experiences and the, the geographic coverage issue. It was always a, a pretty big hurdle for, for people i would worked with. Um, I'm actually fascinated by the way that Hint allows independent doctors uh, to, to kind of address that problem. Um, have you noticed general acceptance of that?
0: You know, from our vantage point the data that we have just the continued acceleration of employer sponsored members who use direct care direct primary care is an indication that there's something there along with that you know we have a lot of interaction with forward-thinking benefit advisors and you know all, a lot lots of times those conversations are a hey, you know, I've got an employer in this, who, who needs coverage in these locations, and Hint is, is perfectly placed to help them identify, you know, what options are out there so that they can work with practices and or use our technology in the future to basically bring an offering to employers um, that is almost like a DPC network um, in a way, but the practices still remain independent. So I think the short answer to your question is, yes, I see that happening, and I have at least personally believe that it's accelerating. I almost hate to ask this, and my I will freely
1: volunteer. My crystal ball is, is broken, but what do you see for the future of Hint? And healthcare, where where are things going at this point in this time of um, just incredible, I guess you could say, turbulence?
0: It's an exciting time, but I don't, you know, it's it that makes it even harder in some ways to, to make guesses. I would say some things that that we see and that we are really interested in in either being a part of or supporting. One is, I'll just reiterate that this. Um, this interesting sort of alignment between employers identifying that they need to take more responsibility of thinking about innovative options and the increase in innovative options that are out there. And on one side of the coin, that could be a super accelerant of new things that can improve. On the other side of the coin, you know, it puts more responsibility on the employers to navigate what was was already a complicated landscape. And so how do you bring offerings that are um, not going to overwhelm them and or, you know, add the most value, you know, some foundational ones, for example, like advanced primary care. Um, I think a couple other things that that, that we see, you know, the the virtual first models, whether it's the – increased access to care that it could provide to anybody, anywhere, but let alone in rural locations, which we know face an even bigger uh, often access challenge than, than other places in the country, and how virtual first models can partner well with in person, because while a lot can be done virtually, not everything can be done virtually, and that's something that we're excited about because you know we've got thousands of in person providers around the country, and we have virtual first clients, and so you know there's just there seems to be some potential magic there. Um, I think that I wouldn't discount that a lot of the drivers that created or at least Uh, accelerated direct care in the primary care space are going to be seen more and more in the specialist space. While they haven't faced some of the same challenges as primary care has over the years, they're in a crappy system too often, and we see more and more um, of the primary care practices that we support uh, entering into direct care relationships with other providers, be they specialists, be they imaging, other types of services, and to me, that's an indication that this direct care, because I I don't even say always say direct primary care now. It's direct care. Its ecosystem is growing, and it's 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 really interesting when you combine it with some of those other things like employers looking for more innovative innovative options out there and trying to find a way to take hold and take control of what has been an out of control thing themselves. Um, I think the last two I'll just say real quick. One is you know, these connections across independent practices, the way that HINT enables them, the way that technology in general enables individuals to collaborate across so many spheres, I just see that growing. And to me, that's a really interesting aspect that's gonna benefit a lot of folks, but just a lot to learn there. And then the last one, uh, you know, kind of goes back to one of the top impediments, which is a recognition that the insurance insurance isn't right in all situations, and how do we essentially unbundle a lot of the things that don't need to be under the insurance model uh, in ways that makes them less complicated, less costly, but also doesn't make them make it an even more complex experience for the patient or the provider. So to me, those are among many, many thre- threads and, and themes and trends that are occurring in such a huge uh, industry that healthcare is. Like, those are some that, that we're really thinking a lot about. We've covered a tremendous
1: amount of ground here, and I guess we have to think about wrapping up. Do you have any last
0: thoughts or insights that that you'd like to share? Both healthcare in general and Hint specifically, you know, building a good system upon the foundation of of great primary care, that's, that's the key. And I'm excited about what position that Hint is in, but also just reading the headlines where investment and interest is in and around primary care. And I think you know, this is as as people are saying, this is primary care's moment in the sun and you know, let's hope let's hope that sun stays up, you know, quite a while so that it gets back to where it needs to be. Um, I think the only other thing I'll comment, just a plug if you don't mind, Eric, uh Hint we at Hint House we host our annual Hint Summit and this year it'll be virtual. It's uh the end of next week, October twenty eighth, and for providers, for um, forward-thinking benefit advisors or TPAs who are interested in the direct care model, like, it, it really is a community event that, that you can join and learn a lot about what's going on, you know, especially back to your earlier question, you know, if you don't even know where to start, there's good stuff in there, or even if you're sophisticated, a larger on-site, near-site type practice and, and are really thinking strategically, there's stuff there, so that's that's one other thing thing I would mention as we close out.
1: And is that going to be recorded and available generally, and how,
0: how would I find that? Um, you can go to summit.hint.com, find out all the information. We've got some really fantastic speakers uh, who I think also reflect the growing interest and, and influence of, of direct care in terms of healthcare thinking, and you can find out the agenda there. You can find out about tickets. Uh, actually, tickets are free for medical students and residents, because we want to make sure this is aware for more and more of those folks out there. And then with your ticket, you can attend it on the Thursday and Friday of next week, or if you can't attend it or, or all of it, you'd have access to the recording soon after. Excellent. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk
1: with me. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. Um, just to editorialize, I firmly believe, uh, as you do, about the primary care it needs to be the center of our healthcare care system um, and, and really think uh, you, you've got a very interesting option that provides a nice alternative to some of the others out there for for uh, not just primary care doctors but also employers and, and consumers of health care as well.
0: Thanks, Eric. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited about what we're doing and how we can make lives better for patients, providers, those who are paying for health care. And, and, and this is the kind of conversations that I think we all need to be having more often in, in so many spheres. So really appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you.